Hey everyone, welcome back to Running Like a Girl, the health and wellness podcast covering all aspects of running culture, including the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm your host, Hannah McKean. On today's episode, you'll hear from Erin Jean Hussey, an Emerson student who ran the 2018 Boston Marathon on behalf of the incredible charity Casamirna Vasquez. I'm so excited for you to hear her story and how the training and fundraising experience shaped who she is today. We'll also touch upon Erin's experience of female running culture and how some recent news stories have sparked paranoia within the female running community. Before we get into our episode, I want to take a few minutes to tell you all about why I am running the 2019 Boston Marathon. After hearing Erin Jean passionately talk about her marathon story, I was feeling super inspired and kind of just compelled me to talk about mine because honestly, I haven't really talked about it out loud with anyone who doesn't really know what happened or kind of why I'm running and what my plan is and how I'm mentally and physically preparing. So I figured I would share it with the audience who would care about it, which is you guys, my listeners. So I will be running the 2019 Boston Marathon on behalf of the Kidney Disease Research Center at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center. In June of 1995, my dad donated a kidney to his dad, my papa, who was suffering from kidney failure. Uh, My dad and his eight siblings, all nine of them, were tested, and my dad ended up being the one chosen to do the transplant. He was a match, and so it was a really stressful time for him, for my whole family, for my mom as well. She, My mom often talks about how nervous she felt because... At the time, the surgical technology was not as advanced as it was today, and there was a risk that he wouldn't be able to have children as easily, which obviously was something they had to be willing to accept in order to save my papa's life. And it's so interesting to think about that experience and how it's so different today because kidney transplants take place laparoscopically, meaning the incision is microscopic, very, very tiny scar, And looking at my dad, his scar is eight inches across his entire side, and it's still a very visible scar. So seeing that progression is something that's just inspired me to run for this cause that has done so much for kidney disease and the transplant process. And my goal is to further that research and that innovation because there are still over 660,000 Americans today living with kidney disease failure and on dialysis, which is a statistic that I want to change and I hope that my fundraising can impact at Beth Israel and beyond because it is a leading kidney disease research center in the country and I just obviously has a very close familial tie so it's just so inspiring to me that my dad has such an important connection and now I do too you know he's still every time we drive by Beth Israel he tears up talking about oh this is where we went in for the procedure this is where after the procedure Papa and I would sit and eat our lunch in this little park outside of Beth Israel and even just hearing those things gives me chills because I wasn't born when the procedure happened but the stories are so vivid and the memories are so raw that it's really affected how I live my life every single day just trying to be a good person and make a greater change and always tell my family how much I love them and care for them. I think it's also important to note that in 2001 my papa um my papa did pass away and 
I think about him every single day and it's all positive memories because I think about how the reason I was able to spend the first four years of my life with him was because my dad donated a kidney to him and I wish I remembered more because I was so little but looking back at photos and home videos and seeing how happy he was and how functional he was and how he was able to live six more incredible years of his life and meet so many more grandchildren than he would have if you know, the transplant process didn't happen in 1995. It's just incredible to think about it in that way and see how this procedure has affected so many, all all the members of my family, but also just how I talk to other people and interact with other people. It's really been such a big change that I don't really think about as much unless I'm sitting here right now, you know, I'm taking notes and talking about it is really just so telling of how impactful the whole thing was because I'm creating a podcast about why I'm running the Boston Marathon which at the end of the day is because of the procedure. I have wanted to run the Boston Marathon for a really long time and after watching how tough last year's race was I just felt motivated that this was my year to tackle my dream. It really is my dream and I obviously I want to make my dad proud in the same way that he's made me so proud over the years And, you know, he doesn't go out of his way to mention it to people, and he often hides his large scar on his side, which is just so telling of the humble person he is. So now I have a platform to speak about it and educate people on why he did it and how we can all support this incredible cause moving forward. And I know it means so much to him as well. And I'll never forget the day in October, which is crazy that it was almost two months ago, when... I found out I was accepted to team BIDMC and first thing I did was frantically text my dad, can you meet me in the city? I have, I I just want to see you. I miss you. Please, 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 please. And he was like, oh, what? Like, you know, like I'm about to leave work. And I said, please, can we just go get dinner? So he drove in and as soon as I saw his car pull up and I saw him get out of the car, I burst into tears and it still makes me super emotional because, you know, I just... He is such an incredible person and I was able to give him this news that I was going to make him proud in a way that he has made me proud and raise this money and do something bigger than myself and fight for a cause that is a great symbol of my papa's life and it was just so emotional. We were both just still in disbelief. I FaceTimed my mom who also cried. We were all just crying and it was just still, you know, and I know it always will be one of the best days of my life was just finding out and telling my family because it was just a sign that I could do this. They think I am worthy of being on this team, even though I'm young and, you know, even though I'm still in college and I have two jobs, it's a lot, but I am able to do this and make a difference. And that's just something that's helping me get through day to day, what I need to fundraise, what I need to do to train, And just the image of my dad and my papa is such a driving force and I hold that so close to my heart, which is really important. You know, my dad made the greatest sacrifice someone can can give by donating his healthy, functional organ to his father in a time that he needed it to survive, a time of stress and pain that's just incomparable to anything I will face during this training process and this fundraising process which even proves to me further that if he can go through that if they can go through that together I can go through this with the support of so many different people and my dad like I said is just really my hero and proved to me that 
I'm strong and I can take on anything I set my mind to. Nothing can stand in my way. I will cross the finish line on April 15th, whether I'm crawling or barrel rolling or (laughs) hopefully running across, I will do it. And that gives me all the sanity and comfort I need to is because I know I am a determined person. I know that that fight within me, that fire within me comes from my dad. And we just, I'm so lucky to be able to share that quality with him because that's why I'm able to do this. I'm living out my dream and making a greater change, whereas he made the greatest sacrifice anyone can give. And that's really what gets me through day to day. And it's just super, you know, inspiring and really just rewarding already. And I'm not even, I'm still at the beginning of this whole process. So I can only imagine the feelings I will feel leading up to race day and even post race day as well. It's going to be pretty incredible. The reason I am running the Boston Marathon in 2019 is for my dad, my papa, and for the progress of kidney disease research and innovation of the transplant process. If any of you would like to donate to the Kidney Disease Research Center and learn more about my story, you can visit www.hannafortimbidmc.com. Any donation helps and every single dollar goes towards the furtherment of kidney disease research and the transplant process. Thank you all for listening to my marathon story. I know it was emotional. I think it's important to talk about. After hearing Erin Jean talk about her story, I was really just compelled to talk out loud about it for the first time. It's just crazy to think about that it's actually happening. So thank you again, Erin Jean, for talking to me about her incredible story and being so inspirational. And without further ado, here is episode two. I ran the Boston Marathon last uh, earlier this year. Actually, it already feels like I can't believe it's still 2018. Uh, so I ran it earlier this year with uh, Cosmere and Vasquez. They are Boston's largest provider of resources for survivors of domestic violence and um, teen dating violence as well. So they focus on um, bringing awareness and education to these issues and providing resources in various languages as well. And then they also operate SafeLink, which is Boston's 24-hour domestic violence hotline, Um, so they operate that as well throughout Massachusetts. And I decided to run the Boston Marathon. Uh, I was a runner in cross country in high school, so it was always a dream of mine that I thought about when I came to Boston, but I did not think I would qualify. So being able to run with Cosmirna made that dream become a reality. And honestly, that was probably what was more special to me, like at first, was to be able to partner with them um, in a sorority here at Emerson. So Kappa, uh, we have a week-long campaign against domestic violence that's called Emerald Empowerment. And Cosmirna, as, as well as another organization in Cambridge called Transition House, have been our beneficiaries for the last few years. And it's pretty tradition that somebody in our sisterhood has run the marathon and raised money for Cosmirna. So that was a big part of the reason why I ran. I couldn't have done it without them, truly. Like, I was home over break for Thanksgiving, and my aunt was asking me questions about how I did it and how I got through it and what I used as a source of support. And honestly, just saying, like, my sis- like my sisters and my friends, like, them being there for me like halfway through and like standing on the sidelines and cheering and all the support that they did for like all my fundraising events truly like showed me who my real friends were and it was really 
I I couldn't have done it by myself. Like I did. I when I say like, oh, I raised this money for Cosmirna, I say like we raised this money because they like really truly did it with me. No, I had never run a marathon before. Um, I did cross country in high school, and I had run a half marathon previously, like maybe 2014. So it was it had been a while. I truly hadn't run more than maybe two or three miles like in a few years. Um, but I kind of wanted to like I had been getting back into running around kind of the same time it was after I saw my sister um Ellie Brellis she ran the marathon in 2017 and after watching her and kind of really experiencing that like in Boston these last few years every Patriots Day um like was super great energy the Boston Marathon was obviously a really emotional experience for Erin Jean Training is equally mental as it is physical, and this was her first marathon, which induced some added pressure. Highlights and low points, it was really crazy to like basically essentially have another full-time job, like another internship, which I'm sure you've already like been relating to. Um, so it's crazy to like physically go through that, but also think about like paying um, that money because one thing is like, I don't know how it is for you, but usually through the charity program, if you don't raise the funds, like you have to give them whatever money, which is crazy, like, you know, but obviously understandable for a reason, but that's a lot of pressure. So like that made the people like my friends and family really nervous, um, including myself. Like I remember it was like Christmas Eve and I was at my boyfriend's house with his family and I was like went to bed early and I was laying in bed and I was just like overcome with this anxiety. Like what if I don't raise this money in these next few months? Like what if I can't do it? I did it, <laughs> um, but it was really scary. Um, but that was a, obviously a great motivator. Um, and then physically, like I have issues with my IT band. So maybe like two or three months in, probably around January, February, I actually had to stop running like for a few weeks and mostly focus on strength training because my knees like were just so painful. I remember I was running by the Esplanade and like every time my foot would like slap the pavement, it would just hurt so bad. And it just like started crying. And I was like posted this whole thing on Facebook and I was so stressed about it because I was like, what if I can't finish? Cause it was like, what if I can't raise the money? What if I can't run it? Like what happens, you know? Um, but highlights, like I threw this local music and art showcase. So a lot of my friends who are musicians and, you know, my boyfriend's an audio engineer and my other friends are like painters and stuff. So we reserved a space over in uh, the South End area. It's called Makeshift Boston. And we basically had this um, benefit concert where some local artists performed that I was friends with and they donated their time, which was really sweet. Um, and I got to share that with a lot of people. And that was a big highlight for me. Um, the event honestly didn't make that much money compared to like some of the other things I did, but that was something like I'm doing marketing for music and entertainment business management. So to be able to put that passion together and use that as a way to like raise money for this cause that I really cared about and had a lot of pressure to fulfill was um, was really great. When asked how she completed the marathon despite the torrential downpours and harsh winds, Erin Jean's incredible mental toughness was really what got her through. I don't know, sheer willpower, <laughs> truly. Uh, but like, yeah, I think it was, they said not to like, you know, be full of myself, but they said it was like one of the worst since like 20, 2007. I had a professor, cause I went to class the next day at 10 a.m. And my professor was talking to me about it. And he was saying, he's like, wow, like last time I ran like that, like I ran it and it was horrible. I don't know. I actually want to say that it kind of made it easier for me physically. So like I said, um, I had to take a little bit of a break, like because I had some um, IT man and like knee pain. And 
it made it like I never actually ran more than like 10 miles when I was training, which is bad, like very dangerous, like very dangerous. Um, I do not recommend doing that to anybody because I ended up like hurting other things that weren't previously like injuries. But for me, like the cold and the wind, like I was focusing on that. So I wasn't really focusing as much like on my body and like the pain. And also it was so cold that it would like for my thighs or like for my knees, like I couldn't really feel it. So it was kind of um, almost like numbing in a way. But also it was very like resilient. Like it kind of made me like want to push harder because it was like almost as if the world is like trying to stop you and you're like, no that's not happening. You're like, I'm doing this, you know? Although I was disappointed because I had read and heard so many things about like the Wellesley like scream tunnel and there weren't as many students, like there, it wasn't really like as loud. Like I couldn't really hear it as much as they say that you can because less students like were out and all their signs were like soaking wet. And so like they weren't really out there as much, but there were still some like, you know, which is awesome. And it's really cool that like people will come out. I think that is one of my favorite things about the Boston Marathon is like people who like don't don't even know like anyone running will like come out and like cheer and like watch and like be super involved in it which is very awesome I want to like tear up like thinking about it because I think about like telling my friends from other places about how you know we don't have class or people don't have work on that Monday because it's the marathon like well yeah people are like what which is crazy to me because I mean like I remember hearing about the marathon especially like in 2013 and like not really understanding because like I wasn't from there so like I don't know and I didn't realize like what a huge thing it was like not just in the running community but outside as like for people who don't run like you know which is crazy to me yeah like I could see how like just the different reactions to some of my friends when I first told them like particularly my friends who are from mass about like how they felt like my one friend was like so excited and she's like from and but it's because she's from here like she knows like how important it is and like how it's been like a part of something in her life for like a while even though she doesn't run you know so it's cool like and I I was I was very happy to like be able to share that with them yeah it's being a part of something bigger than yourself. At a time when Erin Jean struggled to find a greater purpose, the Boston Marathon provided her with a great challenge. Yeah, I mean, that was probably going back to like when we first started the conversation, that was a big like motivating factor for me as I was like, truly, I just wasn't getting any like gratification out of most of the things that I was doing. Like, you know, I go to these classes, I work two jobs, I do all of this. Mind you, I also did all of those things while I trained for the marathon and raised that money. <laughs> we'll just say. Uh, but, you know, and that that was like something that taught me that I could do anything like afterwards. So, and I, and I don't know that you'll feel that way. I also I had three other team members as well. And it was really great to get to know them and kind of meet with them a little bit. We did like a joint fundraising um, over at um, Anna's in Cool Corner. We like rolled burritos together and like we would have two people like outside trying to get people to come to your line because the restaurant has like two lines. And then for, you know, a few hours, the one line, like uh, all the proceeds would go to Casamirna. And then their line was like lame. <laughs> uh, the other line was like capitalism, you know. But uh, that yeah, and that's a great thing that not only like they've been doing with Casamirna's runners and their team like every year. Um, so other people that I know have been on team Casamirna, like have mm-hmm. done that same event. But it was a way for me to like get to know those people and like one of the people who's on my team, she is uh, 
going to be a doctor and she was doing a residency at like Brigham and Women's here but now she's in San Diego which is where I'm from and when I went home for Thanksgiving we didn't get the chance to meet up but we did talk about it and like hopefully when I go back uh, when I move to LA in January we can like meet up or something or like another guy's a personal trainer here in Boston and like he always does different events and stuff so it's cool to be able to like have those connections too and meet new people and be able to do like we did that thing together um so like we all like meet up met up like before the race and stuff like that and so that was that was cool it was four people so and the minimum the goal was ten thousand dollars for like each person um collectively we did like a little over forty five thousand but this year I saw and they have four team members again but it's twelve thousand dollars it looked like it was crazy but it's cool. I think it's a great thing for people to get involved in, no matter like what team they're on. Next, I wanted to know how Erin Jean feels as a female athlete and the power and maybe limitations that come along with it. You know, being kind of more paranoid to run by yourself like at night, especially living in a city. I was actually saying um, I live in the Jamaica Plain neighborhood and my area is very much like residential because it's nearing like the edge of some of the suburbs. And I actually prefer to run downtown Boston where you would think it would be a little bit less like safe because there are more people around. And I would definitely say, yeah, it's attributed to like me being a, like a woman. Like that's the thing though is that I mean the jokes on whoever tries mess with me because obviously I'm running so like I'm like now nowadays when I run I think about it I'm like I ran the Boston Marathon like you think you're gonna chase me but at the same time I would get nervous especially towards like some of my longer runs at the end because I would be tired so realistically if somebody did try to hurt me like I would be kind of at my wits end you know hopefully I'd get like a second rush but yeah I feel much more vulnerable because I think somebody wouldn't really mess with like a, a male runner because he might be bigger like and have like bigger muscles and also I mean people don't really I think realize like how strong like running makes you like building muscle wise. A new survey by Runner's World revealed that nearly 60% of women have faced harassment while running and I was curious to know if Erin Jean is a part of this statistic. I haven't per se. I've never, I've been very fortunate to not have that happen to me. Um, I'm always looking over my shoulder and I try not to, like I try to avoid certain areas, but I remember one time when I was running by the Esplanade and I wasn't planning on doing a long run, but I was just getting kind of feeling it. So I went a little bit further kind of near uh, Kenmore, like BU area. And I mentioned earlier to you, there was this weird like bridge, like roundabout part where like the path ended and you kind of have to go under this bridge and like near the water and I got super creeped out because I was thinking like what if somebody's around the corner you know but I've thankfully never had any like particular experiences that have made me feel uncomfortable I don't feel as unsafe when I'm running as I do when I'm just like walking like by myself in a way I actually would be a little bit more intimidating if I was running because like I'm an athlete so you would see I would hope that somebody would see that at least that's like what I think I put out there maybe it's like the opposite but anytime anybody would pass by me like when I was running also and I still do this just in general when I'm walking by myself I like no matter what I always turn around to see if they like are still behind me or like which if they're like still going in the other direction because like what if they pass by me and then they turn back around like you know so I always would do that and I would do it like multiple times you know until like they're far enough away but also with cars like certain cars if I remember though last year one time when I was running and a car kind of slowed down like near me but then it like went the other way but I always worry like what if the car like 
turns off another street and then it goes like around or like something like that you know so yeah it's like you just have to always be super hyper aware and like kind of on edge which is distracting when you're trying to run or like focus or for me like I cannot um, it's so crazy that you don't run with music obviously much more safe and that's a super good thing and also back in the day like the marathon didn't even like let people or just like a lot of races cross country like meets you're not allowed to uh, listen to music or wear headphones but to me like for me like I need it and now what I do is like I'll just put one in instead of both or like I'll just lower it really really faint so like I can pretty much hear everything on July 18, 2018, 20-year-old Molly Tibbetts disappeared while out on a jog near her hometown of Brooklyn, Iowa. After a month-long search, her body was found. It was determined that a 24-year-old man stabbed her to death and left her body in a cornfield. This scary story sparked worldwide media attention and caused much paranoia for many female runners, including Erin Jean and myself. I asked Erin Jean, should women be responsible for knowing the quote-unquote right and wrong times to run alone or even run alone at all? Realistically, like, we're probably much safer than we think we are. Something happened in, like, my hometown, San Diego. Um, there was a girl um, named Chelsea. I forget what her last name is off the top of my head, which is very embarrassing. But basically, she went for a run um, in one of the canyons because, like, that's the thing is I also lived, like, a lot of the times when I would run, like, I lived on, like, a canyon. So you'd go on the trails and stuff. But I would never do it because I was kind of, like, nervous, even though, like, my guy friends would do it by themselves. Or, like, my one friend, he would, like, run, like, at, like, midnight in our area, which is a super residential like really not a lot of people around not very sketch like definitely not sketchy but kind of like if anything you'd get attacked by like a coyote before you'd get like hurt by like a person another person you know yeah and she like something had happened to her and somebody like like killed her like in the canyon and that started a lot of awareness like for people like for young girls and for people in general like for running and they have an organization now it's chelsea's light like a foundation um to kind of like talk about that a little bit and talk about like her story and stuff and that stuff happens like a lot that's not your responsibility like that's like it shouldn't be i mean obviously like yeah there are things you can do but like it's not your like, it's not, like, me going running, wearing, like, a pair of, like, Gymshark, like, biker shorts, like, isn't me trying to get anybody to come near me, like, while I'm running. Like, I'm just working out because that's what makes me feel comfortable. It's interesting, though, because I, I didn't, didn't want to say this because I didn't want to, like, contradict myself, but when I was, like, when I would run in San Diego, like, usually it would be during the daytime for the most part, but, like, in the evenings, if it was, like, the sun was setting or it was a little bit darker, like, I actually never really felt super unsafe, which was kind of nice. Um, I think it's mostly because my neighborhood, like, there's really just, like, one way in and one way out, so it's just this long street that, like, would be what I would run on. I would do the thing where I would, like, make sure that I was running towards oncoming traffic and then switch sides for the opposite because I just don't like having cars, like, behind me. Because if anything was really going to happen to me there, it was probably going to be somebody, like, putting me in a car or, like, something like that. Um, But I did, I feel like I felt familiar, and I was also so close to my house, like, but it's, like, like, for Boston or the residential area in JP like I don't really know that as well and also because it can't like it is kind of sketchier like sometimes like just because of I don't know like the nature of where like certain lights are placed and stuff like that it's not as like open um whereas like I lived in a pretty open like area. Was running safety something that Erin Jean talked about with her fellow runners in high school? I was curious to see whether or not this discourse was present for her growing up. Probably not, but not because it wasn't like I don't I it just because I don't think it was a big big of a conversation like at the time, and I wish that it was, and 
I did I will say though like in terms of like switching like that technique in particular that was something I probably did like talk about I would assume never like unless something like that made me feel uncomfortable happened to me like I wouldn't really have a reason to like talk about it um but again also because like things like that just worn as like talked about like I would think about them but like it wasn't a big piece of conversation for people there's a difference between like being paranoid and like feeling unsafe so a lot of it is like the paranoia but I also feel like paranoia has like a negative connotation to it sometimes it's like paranoia isn't really like as like I don't know it's like sometimes it doesn't feel like it's as as valid as like like you're just being paranoid like kind of thing like people would brush it off in that way but I would say it's like be having fears like having fears of being unsafe versus like actually really feeling unsafe but I will say actually my so I was on two cross-country teams one was in like the suburbs of Chicago and then one was like later at my other high school um, in San Diego and both cases like they would run in San Diego like in the canyon um kind of near the school and also kind of like near my house because they're all kind of like connected and then my other high school, my first cross-country team, there was a forest preserve, like, across the street, and that was where the team would, like, run and stuff, and they would always say, like, they would be, like, you can't run by yourself, like, you do need to have, like, another person with you, and from what I understand, I, I'm interested to think about, because I don't know if that was something that was also said to, like, the boys cross-country runners, because they run in the same spot in the same forest preserve. I want to say that they probably did, but I could, I'm probably wrong, you know, so... That's another thing to think about. Did Aaron Jean's coaches prioritize one team over the other based on gender? Or did any teammates mention being treated differently based on ability? I wasn't personally. There were probably some teammates that I had who were. But I think also I wasn't super like involved in any like I wasn't I wasn't really like involved with like other team members. <laughs> like I wasn't really involved with that. So like I didn't really know a lot of people like in those scenarios um yeah probably like I would say that the the teacher who got me into cross country he was the coach of the boys cross country team and I definitely think that when he would talk about like so I still had him for class and stuff and he would talk about the boys cross country team like more than the girls and which obviously like he's the coach for the guys not the girls but like I don't know like I feel like you would talk more about them also my team like it was three like women and like a guy initially though at first it was another guy but he ended up actually getting an injury like really early on so like the first meeting that I ever went to it was like the two guys and then me and then the other girl she wasn't there but like or the other woman rather wasn't there um but then he had to like drop out so then the girl who I was talking about earlier who was the research assistant she came on the team which was cool so it was nice to like have that but something I actually noticed at Emerson, though, is I feel like it's kind of the opposite. Like, whenever I read The Beacon, um, which I do, I don't know if people are going to roast me for that, but, <laughs> like, I don't know, they get a bad rap. But uh, they focus a lot on, like, the girls' teams. I feel like volleyball and especially, yeah. like, uh, women's soccer here is they're, the team's yeah. very good. Um, grant, I mean, granted, it's, like, D3 sports. No offense to anybody. But I think that Emerson, like, does focus on the girls' teams more, but it's also because I think they're better. <laughs> The women's sports teams at Emerson get a lot of attention because they tend to outperform the men's teams. Women's soccer this year made it all the way to the NUMAC semifinals, which got wide praise across campus publications. Even though Erin Jean didn't join the cross-country team at Emerson, she appreciates our school's team environment for women's sports. And I think it's more enjoyable that way. Like, I almost did cross-country at Emerson, and it's the thing is like, 
I didn't do cross country like the last year of high school, like kind of towards the end where it would have really been more like integral to me, like getting on a team or doing it in college. Um, but they would have like, they'll let most people like do it, which is cool because it's a little bit more accessible to people. You know, I, it's funny that I ran the marathon because like I came in last to every cross country meet I ever had, except for the ones where I came in second to last. <laughs> like I'm not fast. Like, and people think that you have to, to be a good runner, like you have to be fast. And yes, I mean, in the pro like world yes but just in general like as a hobby and doing like doing races and stuff you don't necessarily have to be fast like I read that article about that woman who took like 12 hours to run it because she would take breaks and like I don't know if it was her dad I think who like came like did it with her it was just so touching as someone who's running the Boston Marathon this spring the training process has already taught me so much about myself after being only a few weeks in so I asked Erin Jean what her biggest takeaways were after she crossed the finish line. Like I said earlier, I think it really teaches you, especially like, I mean, I think more so in terms of doing it like with a team and doing it for a cause like you are, like you really do learn who in your life is going to like really support you the most and like be there for you. Um, I'm like, I like, want to cry like just thinking about it, um, you know, like my friends like and my like sorority and like even my family was like they were really there for me and they supported me and that also like something I learned was how to apply like my business skills or like my professional like being able to be versatile and like you have a lot more skills and a lot more connections than you think you do so like for example I was sitting there being like okay how can I get people to like know what I'm know about what I'm doing so I thought of like who are all the producers and all the people that I know at Emerson who have like podcasts or videos or projects and like that was a big way that like I just have to think of like who I know like you have a lot more resources than you like think you do and also like you can literally do anything like if you got that far that like somebody felt that you were like the person to represent like this organization or that you could accomplish like that distance then like you are like that is you you know um so I think that that's important something important like there's a reason that you were doing it in the first place uh which is hard when you're like running up a hill and there's 17 miles behind you and the rain and the wind and everything you have to be stubborn good I think you'll do great then my like my three friends they met me at mile 17 and my two like my boyfriend and my one friend they were both like nervous that like I wasn't gonna finish it like they were obviously like wanted me to and they knew that I hadn't really run as much as I had wanted to for training but my other friend was like she's not gonna not do it guys like there are too many people watching like it's so much pressure like she will crawl to this finish line and that was the thing is I was like if I have to walk like I will and I did walk a lot of it you also walk a lot of it too it's hard will Erin Jean ever run the Boston Marathon again uh no <laughs> definitely not I kind of miss it though like I remember like when that was like my checking my crowd rise page and like that stuff and like thinking about how much I had to run like though that was what I thought about all the time so in a way like looking at the new team and like seeing people get excited and I saw Giving Tuesday like I remember when I was doing that and it's like I kind of like miss it and I look forward to like I'm sad that I'm not gonna be in Boston for like this next marathon but I'm looking forward to like being able to live stream a little bit and like, you know, see what happens. Thank you all for tuning in to episode two of Running Like a Girl. I hope you enjoyed Erin's amazing marathon story. And hey, maybe I'll see you at the Boston Marathon finish line next year.